It's Tuesday, March 19th. Welcome to our new podcast, Skim This. Every Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., we're breaking down the biggest, most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, a big meeting went down in D.C. between President Trump and Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro. The two leaders have a lot in common, and their bromance may change U.S.-Brazilian relations. We'll tell you why that matters. Then, the Midwest is being hit by historic flooding. We'll explain why a weather trifecta is to blame. Finally, we'll talk about the legacy of Sandra Day O'Connor, the first female Supreme Court justice. We're here to make your Tuesday smarter. Let's skim this. Today, President Trump met with someone you're going to be hearing about a lot more. Today, I'm very thrilled to welcome President Bolsonaro of Brazil for his first visit to the White House. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro. People call him the Trump of the tropics. And there's clearly a lot of love between the two. When Bolsonaro won his election last fall, Trump was one of the first people to call and congratulate him. He sent Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to represent the U.S. at Bolsonaro's inauguration. And now, Bolsonaro has made the U.S. his first foreign stop as president. This is his translator speaking in the Oval Office on his behalf. Just as President Donald Trump wants to have a great America, I, on my side, also want to have and ensure we have a great Brazil. He just used Trump's campaign slogan, in the Oval. So who is this guy? Why are he and President Trump so tight? And what does their relationship mean for the U.S. and Brazil? Okay, let's start. Who is Jair Bolsonaro? Bolsonaro has been in the public eye for decades. He was an officer in Brazil's army, back when Brazil was being run by a military regime. After that regime fell in 1985, Bolsonaro shifted gears and ran for Congress. But he's always looked back fondly on the military regime, even the violent leaders who ran it. As a congressman, Bolsonaro became well-known for his hate speech against Afro-Brazilians and indigenous people, against the LGBTQ community, and against women. Hateful attacks like these put Bolsonaro on the fringe of Brazil's politics. Until his political opponents who were leading Brazil got wrapped up in a massive money laundering scandal. In 2016, Brazil's Congress impeached the president over it. At the same time, drug wars in neighboring countries were spilling across Brazil's borders. Homicide rates skyrocketed. Many people were afraid to leave their homes. Bolsonaro seized the moment, and last year, he launched a campaign for president, promising law and order. On the campaign trail, things got heated. Bolsonaro was even stabbed by someone. But he rallied support. Even some people who had been the targets of Bolsonaro's racist comments voted for him. And in the end, Bolsonaro won by a sizable margin, and people celebrated in the streets. Which brings us to part two. Why are Bolsonaro and Trump so tight? Bolsonaro gets compared to Trump a lot. He loves to tweet, he loves to blame Brazil's problems on his political opponents, and he rejects unflattering reports as fake news. But they're also politically aligned. Both campaigned on bringing back law and order. They're both free market supporters. They're both climate change skeptics. Trump said today that he was honored that Bolsonaro's campaign was compared to his own. The two even swapped soccer jerseys. So they have a lot in common, and they're open to talking. And you should know, this is a huge shift for Brazil. Under President Obama, things got icy. 
In 2013, secret documents released by Edward Snowden showed that the U.S. had been spying on Brazil's then-president. Brazil was not happy about this. And that's part three. What does this Trump-Bolsonaro meeting mean for relations between the U.S. and Brazil, and the power dynamic on our side of the world? Trade. That's one of the top things on the agenda. President Bolsonaro and I are both committed to reducing trade barriers, facilitating investment and supporting innovation across a range of industries, particularly energy, infrastructure, agriculture, and technology. The U.S. is the largest economy in the Western Hemisphere. Brazil is the second largest. It has the eighth largest economy in the world. Unlike the U.S., Brazil doesn't do a lot of trading with other countries. They've been a little closed off. But Brazil's economy is still recovering from a massive recession that hit in 2014. Millions of people lost their jobs. Bolsonaro is hoping that opening up to trade will jumpstart the economy again. For the U.S., being able to export more easily to Brazil would not only be good for American businesses, it could also have a nice geopolitical side effect. Pissing off China. Right now, China is Brazil's largest trading partner. China gets all kinds of things from Brazil. Beef, oil, iron. And it's been investing billions of dollars in the country. So by cozying up to Bolsonaro, Trump could also hit Beijing. Win-win. So what's the skim? On a global level, the impact of this budding friendship between Trump and Bolsonaro could be huge. Trump's considering offering Brazil the status of major non-NATO ally. Not in the club exactly, but close enough to get into the room. Today, he said he might even try to get them full NATO status. And Bolsonaro is considering letting the U.S. have a military base in Brazil, which would be a strategic location right by Venezuela. Reports say the U.S. presence there would counter Russian influence. Russia is helping Venezuela's president, Nicolas Maduro. Both the U.S. and Brazil are siding with Venezuelan opposition leader, Juan Guaido. On the national level, more trade with Brazil could be good for U.S. companies. At least, that's what Bolsonaro is pitching. On a personal level, here's a perk. Brazil announced Monday that soon, U.S. citizens will no longer need a visa to travel to Brazil, in case you ever needed another incentive to hop on a plane to Rio. In the meantime, things haven't been sunny in the Midwest. Three states have declared states of emergency, and you should know why. That's next. Tomorrow is the first day of spring, but people in the Midwest will still be dealing with the fallout from the winter. There's been catastrophic flooding. Dams are overflowing. Thousands of people have been evacuated. And the governors of Nebraska, Iowa, and Wisconsin have declared states of emergency. Today, three things you need to know about how this flooding got this bad in the first place. Starting with the bad weather trifecta that laid the groundwork. Deadly polar vortex, snow, ice, and rain. A bomb cyclone. Remember back in January when everyone was talking about the polar vortex? In the Midwest, temps nosedived and stayed down for days. One town in Minnesota felt minus 66 degrees, and the whole region was at 10 below or lower. That froze the ground. Hard as concrete, and it's still frozen, which means it can't absorb moisture. That's bad news, because states like Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa also got record amounts of snow this year. And the weather has mostly stayed below freezing ever since. So those snow piles have stuck around. The weather trifecta rounded out last week with a bomb cyclone, 
That's a very rare on-land cyclone that happens when super cold air hits warm air and the temps fall fast. It hit the Midwest with a super nasty mix of snow, sleet, rain, and hurricane strength winds. But since the ground was still too cold to absorb the water, they got a ton of flooding too. The perfect storm. Which brings us to the second thing you need to know. The flooding is historic. More than 500 river gauges from Mississippi to Michigan are around the flood stage. More than 100 have moderate to major amounts of flooding. One part of the Missouri River reached about four feet higher than the record. On top of that, about 200 miles of levees have been breached on the Nebraska-Missouri border. Three people have died in Nebraska. Thousands have had to evacuate. Homes have been destroyed. And this will have other long-term impacts. The Midwest is known for agriculture. Steve Nelson is the president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau. This is a very challenging time for farmers and ranchers across the state. We have uh, snow, heavy snows in parts of the state with a lot of wind. And so as particularly affected cow-calf uh, producers and, well, really any livestock that's outdoors. That brings us to the third thing you need to know. How is the government responding? Governors have declared states of emergency. That means that extra first responders will be dispatched and emergency funds will be released to help with relief efforts. Vice President Mike Pence made a trip to Nebraska today to survey the damage. Temperatures are rising, which means water levels will continue to rise too. And some people are planning ahead. Some towns in North Dakota are declaring states of emergency in anticipation of flooding. If you wanna help the flooding victims, we'll have links in the show notes. We hear a lot about the first during Women's History Month, one that everyone should know about, Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to serve on the Supreme Court. And first is the name of the new biography that came out about her today. President Ronald Reagan nominated O'Connor to the bench in 1981. Looking back on that time 30 years later, O'Connor said she took her role as a trailblazer seriously. I wasn't sure what I ought to do because it's all right to be the first to do something, but I didn't want to be the last woman on the Supreme Court. <laughs> O'Connor retired from the court in 2005 to care for her ailing husband. Last fall, she announced she had been diagnosed with dementia. But while she was on the court, she had a rep for being a swing vote on a lot of important decisions. O'Connor was a Republican, but she voted to uphold abortion rights and affirmative action. On the other hand, she also voted to end the Florida recount after the 2000 election giving George W. Bush the presidency. Want to learn more about inspiring women like Sandra? Head over to our website, theskim.com, to find all our Women's History Month coverage. Before we go, we've got a fun fact for the next time you see an outfit you like on Instagram. Starting today, you might be able to buy it without even leaving the app. Instagram has a new shopping feature. Right now, it's only available for 23 companies, big names like Zara, H&M, and MAC Cosmetics. But by cutting out the middleman and letting users buy direct, it could be huge for smaller companies too. Facebook, Instagram's parent company, has been eyeing commerce as a big future money move. And revenue from brand accounts for this year is estimated to be in the millions. And getting insight on their users' shopping habits through Instagram will probably be able to help them do that. And that's all for Skim This. 
Thanks for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll catch us again tomorrow. Be sure to hit subscribe if you haven't already, and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We love to read them. And don't forget, you can even subscribe to our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, via text. Just text SKIM, S-K-I-M-M, to the number 66866. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 